Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today we have a very special guest, Mr. Aaron Ward. He was in the Navy for 21 years, visited 79 countries, and was in the Special Ops Division. So he has some phenomenal stories to share. We are so honored to have Aaron on our podcast today. So hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Us a Good Story. The story of my life, I take her home, I drive all night. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are excited for this next guest. He is a retired U.S. Navy senior chief petty officer, a police sergeant with the city of Columbus, speaker and author of the book, Building Your Kingdom Fire Team. Please welcome to our podcast, Mr. Aaron Ward. Hello, sir. Hey, guys. How are you? We are doing great. We How are, are you? So in scenes. How are you guys oh doing? Oh, my gosh. We are so excited. I am so freaking excited to talk to you. You have no <laughs> idea. Like, I, I'm going to dig in about everything right now. I'm So just be ready, Aaron. Aaron. Get your shovel. I, <laughs> I think it's from all the NCIS shows that she's watched in the so past couple excited. years. That I, I think that's They're all true. <laughs> See? I told you. They're all true. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So how long how long did you serve in the Navy, Aaron? I was in the Navy for 21 years. 21 wow. years. Wow. First of all, thank you. Yes. Thank Thanks. you for that. Thank you very much. Um, what made you go into that? Into the Navy versus well, maybe a different military branch? It, it was really deep. I liked swimming. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was more to it, but that was it. That was it. You know, the uh, guidance counselor said, well, you can do it the rest of your life. I said, and I looked at the board and I said, well, you know what? I like to swim. I think I'll join the Navy. Oh my gosh! Really? So with with the Navy, just just to confirm, the Navy is anything related to water, pretty much, right? So it's your, um, well, anything related to water. You're swimming, Top Gun, NCIS, right? I mean, that's that encapsulates <laughs> everything, right, Aaron? <laughs> it does. It's I tell you, all the all branches of service, really, just the Navy. It's a their their goal is to move things on the water. So if you think about an entire uh, business and where it operates out of, right. well, the Navy is designed so at any given moment, there's there's a fleet of ships standing by somewhere around the world, off the coast of Africa, you know, in the Pacific. There's there's a, uh, a, a fleet of ships sitting there right now, just waiting in case something occurs. Wow. wow. The Navy just, it's just a military force and they're just stationed in the water and they're always switching out. So at any given time, one fleet goes in, the next fleet goes out to relieve. Them. What about what about submarines? Did you ever live on a submarine? Same with submarines. I tell you what, I did 14 days on a submarine once. Ooh. And I don't think I'll ever do it again. I, <laughs> it's a special breed of sailor. I can't imagine that. Mm-mm. That doesn't sound fun to me. No. At all. Hard no. no it, the food was great. And I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll draw the line there. The food was great. But uh, yeah, I like the sun. I can't, I can't imagine. So you wouldn't know what, t- I mean, you would know what time it is, but you'd never see sun. You would, I mean, you're below. You're never <laughs> you're, getting fresh air. You're never getting fresh air <laughs> at all. 14 days. If, yeah. if one person gets sick, probably pass it around to everybody else underneath. Like how, like how long are people usually on a submarine for like, you know. Well, most of the, the Navy's fleet of submarines are doing three month rotations. So three months underwater, then they come back. 
and then three months underwater, then they come back. So they're always doing a rotation in the different jobs our submarines do, protecting our coastline and protecting other things. It's I, honestly, it's so secretive. I don't have a lot to tell you about submarines. Wow. It's just uh, they're they're all they're always busy. They're always moving. They're always busy, and they're always deploying. So, Aaron, I spoke to you at church just for a few minutes the other night. Can you tell Steph what exactly you did in the Navy, right? Because um, just just the few seconds you told me was was pretty fascinating. <laughs> so I originally joined the Navy and I became a rescue swimmer. And I did that for just a while. And as a rescue swimmer, like if a, a pilot crashes into the water or if there's people in distress in the water, we're the ones that uh, deploy either through boats or jump out of helicopters and rescue and save them. And then I did that for four years and then i made a transition into a uh, particular branch of the navy under naval special warfare and uh, i did something called site sensitive exploitation and the best way i can explain that is we were like detectives we'd use the the navy skills as a swat team and we were like detectives to their to complement them and uh they would go we'd go to a certain area of the country and go on a mission where we were trying to gather evidence maybe to prosecute a terrorist or a drug lord or something of that nature. And the SEALs would act like a SWAT team. And then we would go in and process the evidence, do follow-ups, do interrogations, and present almost like a criminal packet to a local prosecutor in whatever country we were working in. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. So so you're working with the, the Navy SEALs. They're giving you all the evidence. You're processing it, all of that. Is that right? We would use the SEALs as a, as a kind of of a SWAT team and uh, for instance when we operated in the Middle East for a number of years they would go in we would they would find someone on their target list and they would go in and secure that either house or compound and we would go with them and start to interview people there at the scene and maybe collect evidence there at the scene and uh, at many times it would also take someone back with us right. to continue a further interview and uh, from there we'd either do one of two things we'd either make that person want to work for us to find a bigger bad guy or we would uh, put together a prosecution packet so they could be tr uh, tried in their local community because that's the reason why we were there is because they were causing damage to their community. Okay, I know you can't tell me like <laughs> I know what you're going to I know it. I know, I know you can't tell me certain <laughs> missions, but say when the seals went to Osama bin Laden, so they took over, and then would you guys be the ones to? go back in and like sweep the house, that kind of stuff. That particular mission, it's funny you brought up that one. That was a, a dev group, a, a SEAL Team 6 mission. Uh -huh. And they have they have their own members that are trained in what we do embedded in their own team. Ah. So there was as much as I would have loved to have done stuff with them, never had the opportunity. But a lot of the other teams, we were the complement to those teams. Okay. I thought you were going to ask what they would do to try to get people to want to work for them. I thought that's what you were going to oh, ask. Oh, well, let's go with that one. Sure, Aaron. What? Yeah. What? Now, yeah. granted, I'm sure a lot of this is secretive. Yes. Confidential. But, but. Uh, yes, if you wanted someone to work for you or whatever you called it, how would you go about doing that? Well, I'd say you gotta think it's, uh, it's like anything else. If, uh, if there's enough evidence against you, you're going to either say, you know what? I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail or I don't want to go to jail. I'd rather work with you and become an informant. It's just like in the law enforcement world today. Right. Um, many people, once they've kind of seen the light of day, they'll just they either, 
you know, want to either help to lessen their sentence or just, you know, Hey, send me to jail. I'll never tell you. Right. Oh man. So when you go into a situation, Aaron, do you just have like a team of translators that are always coming with you to help navigate the the situation? Yeah, that's key. It's a, I, I, I went to school, military seemed to school to speak a foreign language, but I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. So I picked up some Arabic, um, but you always have a translator with you. And, uh, you also always have a translator that's familiar with the dialect. Oh, and what I mean by that is, you know, here we are speaking um, regular old English, but if we, you know, drive eight hours south, English is going to sound different. Right. So you not only want a translator with you, you want someone that understands the dialect of the the region that you're in. So in the movies, you know, you see these special forces, and they're going into Baghdad or Iraq, and they look like the locals is that really how you dressed and appeared oh yeah um a lot several several missions several deployments i was they grew a beard uh, wore clothes that uh non-conventional military uniforms things of that nature i've got a really funny story about that as please. well let's go for uh, it yes please about going you have my attention Aaron. <laughs> I was, like, uh, okay okay let's do this yeah it, it, it's one of those things it's a. Uh, it's your perspective in life. You operate on what you know. And in 2005, 2006, I was in an area of Iraq that had just been, I guess, occupied by the U.S. forces. And so we were we were on a very secure little little base, and uh, we were living off the land, buying goats from locals. Oh, you know, our interpreters would raise little crops for us, and it was a very it was a very um, uh, I guess, self-sustaining lifestyle we were living while we were doing these operations. And uh, my sister, who's in the Army, was in Baghdad, and she was getting promoted. And she had sent a message to where I was saying, hey, I'm getting promoted. Could you think you can fly in and do the promotion? And I'm like, wow, you know, big brother gets to promote his little sister. I mean, it's just fantastic. Right. So I said, sure. And uh, Long story short, I uh, found ways to get to Baghdad and basically I hitchhiked on helicopters where we knew helicopters would land in our area. I wrote in my hand, hey, Camp Striker, Baghdad. I had it written on my hand. I put it up against this window and they'd either yes or no. And after several hours, I got to Baghdad and uh, I had a beard and I'm wearing a non-conventional uniform <laughs> and my weapon doesn't look like anybody else's <laughs> weapon. And uh, so I land. And, you know, like I said, this is where perspectives come in. This is all, this is what months and months of living this way. It was my perspective of warfare. And I land and obviously I'm a fish out of right. water. And I, I was able to get a hold of my sister said, Hey, I just landed. Can you come pick me up? It's about 3 a.m. She comes to pick me up and says, Hey, are you hungry? And I said, Oh, Mary, I'm so hungry. And so she takes me to a 24 hour chow on the base she's on, which, <laughs> and I walk in and, uh, and it's full of, it's like a, an Applebee's the size of a gymnasium. Oh my gosh. And, you know, well, as we're going to walk in, they, they have gate, what they call them, uh, gate guards. It's just, just people, they deploy, they're members of our military, and their job is to protect the chow halls. So I'm walking up with my sister, and she's in your traditional uniform, <laughs> you know, and here she is with this guy who looks like a, a mercenary. And uh, the young lady guarding the gate to the chow hall says, civilians can't come in our chow hall with weapons. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, young lady. I'm actually in the military. And I show her my ID. Her perspective did not match. She was like, I don't. I could tell she was on tilt. 
And all she could say is civilians can't come in our chow hall with weapons. And I'm like, ma'am, um, I'm, I'm actually in the military. I'm an E8. Right. Um, you know, I'm a member of our armed forces. It's just what I look like. Her perspective didn't catch that. She's, she's like, civilians can't come in our chow hall. <laughs> I just said, hey, young lady, who, who do you work for? And she's like, you know, gunnery sergeant so-and-so. I said, can I just talk to him? Right. So he comes out and he's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, and he's like, ah, brother, come in and eat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Perspectives are different. Right. You know, this t- they deployed and they're eating out of 24-hour apple beef. Oh, man. Win. And here we're, and we're eating goats and eating beans. Right. Oh. You know, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> so but, back to what I guess you were asking stuff. Uh-huh. So, Aaron, t- today, when you try to watch a movie, right? And it has something about Navy or loosely based on the Navy. How hard is it for you to watch something? Because I'm, I, I'm assuming you're like, that is nowhere near reality. That's nowhere close to what actually happens. Like how hard is it for you to actually like watch stuff on TV and it, it's based on the Navy? Um, I tell you well, for any military movie, I probably, I'm, if you ask me the last 10 movies I watched, you're going to hear, Disney movie, you're gonna. <laughs> I I am so can't watch them anymore really? because I'm like, oh, you know, you know, I just, and, you know, I've spoiled it for the kids, I've spoiled it for my right. wife. They won't watch this movie, so I, I don't because I just I'm like I'm watching them. I'm like, you know, oh, you know, put some effort into right. it. You know? <laughs> like you're just being lazy. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah I, I got to watch something animated. Give me something like you know, uh, Avengers, something that's just so far fetched. Right. Just, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, you know what? Funny. I think I yeah. would love to watch a movie with you just to get like the perspective <laughs> of you. You're like, that's totally, that's totally not real. Like, really? Nope. Tell me what happens. Nope, Tell me it. what they should be doing. <laughs> I think that would be really cool. Oh, that's funny. Here's what's interesting, Aaron. Is well, so far in this conversation, you don't have the. Or you're not speaking like the military no. uh, dialect, vocabulary, because I guess people I've, I've met from the military, they're still like, roger that. And just like very. And, and the one guy was stark. like, I got to go hit the head. I'm like, what, was, what are you talking about? Hit the head. I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Thank you. Like, keep an English here. So I like, do you still. I, I guess have that dialect, that communication where your family's like, Hey, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I tell you what, um, I've learned to, to, uh, turn it on, turn it off. Especially depending on what crowd I'm in. If I go around a military crowd, or if I go speak to military people now, right. uh, to a military crowd, I'll turn it immediately on and I'll speak the language and just shows that legitimacy. Um, but I, you know, in most modern day conversations, if I bring it up, people just give me that, that st- the perspective is different. So they give me that weird look like, what is right. this guy talking about? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I want to know what your training was like, physical training, workouts. Like, let's talk about that. The, uh, I, it was great. I mean, we worked out all the time, especially when I went to Naval Special Warfare. Of course, the SEALs, they're very, their job is very physically demanding. So they're always having the latest workouts, providing the best workouts, pushing everyone that works with them to work out more. Right. And I loved that. The, uh, it was, it was very physically demanding. Plus any, any time you did anything with them, even work close to them a little bit, you had to find some kind of time to work out and physical, get better physically and, uh, you know, run the extra miles, do the extra pushups. It, they, I'd say just working with those amazing, uh, those, those amazing men, the, uh, 
they taught me one thing that I always will remember. Tell me many things. One thing I always remember is being able to speak to your body, not let it speak to you. Mm. There's so many times like, well, I just want to quit. Uh, and you right. just had to learn how to start speaking to your body. I tell you, you're going to run that. You're going to, you're going to do it harder. You're going to go stronger. You're going to keep up. And, uh, that was many, many lessons that they taught me. Um, that was one of them that I always, you know, tell my, you know, kind of sewn into my children as well. Say, hey, you need to speak to your body. Don't let it speak to you mm-hmm. and uh, keep moving, keep moving forward. We can, you know, and, and speak positive things and uh, things of that nature. Aaron, tell my wife the number of countries that you've been to uh, over the course of your career in the, in the Navy. I've been to 79 countries. What? Really? I know how you track all that. Yes. Yeah. 79. What was your favorite? Yeah. Favorite to go to. I, you know, I, I tell you, I really enjoy Afghanistan and Pakistan. What? Um, I, <laughs> I do. I, now, granted, I couldn't live there. Right. Now, this is outside of the U.S. I think this is the best country in the world. Right. We have, let alone the freedoms, but in you know, a few hours, I can be in the mountains or at the ocean. Amen. Or I could yep. you know, be skiing, or I could be you know, at a lake. Right. So I think this is the absolute best country in the world. But I just, I, I, you know, I loved Afghanistan as far as the, uh, the way it looked. The food, I, the language that I, the language school I went to was Farsi, so they speak that in certain parts of Afghanistan, certain parts of Pakistan and our and Iran. You know, even now I can watch a a, a cooking show or any show and has I get oh wow that's such and such Pakistan. And I just enjoyed that culture. Wow. Fortunately, it's not one that I could live in. Mm-hmm. Now, what was your scariest one you were in? Um, the same. Really? <laughs> yeah, the same. Because <laughs> when you said when you said that, yeah. I was like, "Oh, yeah. I didn't, wasn't, wasn't expecting, expecting that." that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! It is. All right. I want to know. Do you want to go? Yes, I want to go. Go too. It's my turn. Okay. It's my turn. All right. So, Aaron. So, with all of the stuff you've seen, right? Are you today the type of guy like? you're very aware of your surroundings. Like when you walk into a restaurant, your back is never to the door. Not that you are, not that you're scared, but you are always super aware because you've seen things that other people haven't, right? Like how do you, how do you handle that? Again, it's that perspective. It just processes that way. My wife and I will go some places and, uh, I would say my situational awareness is probably higher than the average person. Right. My closest friends and I will go someplace and I'll point something out. Um, yeah, we, you know, when I go to a restaurant, yeah, we, even now if we go, oh, my kids, the waitress or waiter will sit up, seat us, and my my kids even go, my dad won't sit here. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it is. I and I tell you, it's, um, it's not a fear. It's just an awareness to surrounding. Right. And it just, yeah, some training, some experience, some learning from other folks to add to that experience. So yes, Situa- situational awareness is probably a little higher than most. Now, do you have any other Navy stories or can we move on here? No, I have one more. I have one okay. more. Okay. Right, okay, okay, okay. One more. NCIS, right? Not NCIS, but <laughs> I'm thinking about your missions and I'm thinking about how you looked and then you come home to your wife. Do you look that same or do you get like cut your hair, shave your beard? How do you look when you see your wife? Oh, before getting off the plane? Yeah. So when I, if I came home on leave, I would usually come home, you know, looking like I did. But when I came home, home, um, I, I cut my hair, I shaved, I, I got new, I just, I, you know, and 
it's just because, um, you know, once you leave that area and come, you want to put, once again, put on that professional appearance. Yeah. You're representing a government. Right. So, yeah. Um, now, you know, with that being said, I've had the honor of meeting several uh, dozens of men that live that lifestyle. They always have the beard. They always, because they're always going in and out of those countries. I was never in that position. But uh, I got to meet several guys that are constantly deploying back and forth and ha have to keep that persona up. Uh -huh. So once you retired, right, from, from the Navy, was the police force just the natural progression? Is that what most guys go towards? Or how did, what led you to move on to the police force? Well, years before I left the military, I switched over from my job as an active duty person to a reserve person. Okay. And it was during that transition that I joined law enforcement. And uh, I had an uncle that was in law enforcement. And uh, I, I just remembered how, how much I respected him growing up. And then one of my oldest brothers joined the Columbus Police Department. So I thought, you know what? I think I want to do the same. So I, that's what I did as well. And it just, it is a great fit, especially doing that job in the, in the military. Right. It just translated so perfectly into law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Right. I can imagine all the training. Yeah, exactly. That you've gone through, like you said, using weapons, your knowledge of that, when to pull a weapon, all of that. The physical, the physical fitness that you had been involved with. Yeah, I can only imagine that mm -hmm. would be a very uh, a natural progression. They were probably licking their chops when they're like, you're like, hey, could I join the?" And you're like, <laughs> yes, you can. Whatever you want. We'll get you on board. Right. Well, then what was, what was more yeah. physically challenging for you? Was it the... Uh, you know, the police academy training or going through the, the Navy stuff that you had to? Oh, the Navy by far. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even compare the two. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if the city was licking their chops when I applied. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> I think Aaron. They just got <laughs> far enough, far enough down the list. They picked my name, but <laughs> so I guess, how are you viewed as a police officer when you're out in public? Are the typically most people appreciative or do you run into issues feeling like, you're the bad guy. How does, how does that work when you become part of the police force? You do. I, honestly, most people are excited to see you. Uh, there's a few people that aren't uh, for one or two reasons. Number one, because they're a bad guy. Right. Or secondly, they've just been told not to trust the police. And uh, now you've got to take that responsibility on yourself to try to get over that, the, over that barrier. You can't blame them. You know, they were either raised, raised on, hey, you know what? We've had too many bad experiences with the police, so don't trust them. Right. So you, you've got to take that, they take that responsibility on yourself to earn their trust, not just because you're in a uniform and you work the neighborhood and you have the ability to, to enforce laws. You've got to make a conscious effort to gain their trust and to let them see the real person, not just the uniform. And you got to get past that barrier. Right. You got to get past that barrier. I want to know how good of a shot you are with military, <laughs> with police. Like, seriously. Sniper? Yes. How good are you? Yeah. I'd say, well, with a pistol, um, I think I'm probably one of the best. Really? I'm probably one. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do. I do. But I, I like to shoot the pistol, though. Huh? So I practice a lot. It's, you know, it's, I do. I shoot a ton. This, uh, this year, I actually went, Pastor Tim let me borrow one of his handguns to go to go deer hunting with. And uh, I got a really good video of me shooting two deer one-handed. I had an accident, so I can only shoot one-handed. So I, I hit two deer <laughs> within about 10 seconds one-handed. No. And uh, we got it all on video. It was great. You know, major points with my kids. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Now, so, how far were the deer? <laughs> 30 yards away, probably. Okay. Two of them within yeah. 10 seconds? Yeah. So, Dude, I'm going... But, you know, granted, 
I said, I'm going hunting with Aaron. Oh, sure. I'm like, just going to watch. Hey, Aaron, that first one's yours. Yeah. That second one, that one's mine. I'm going to sow seeds yeah. for that second deer. Yeah. Aaron's going to get with a pistol. Yeah, because that's why I was going to ask Aaron. Like, yeah. I mean, to hit something on the run. Yeah. That's that's impressive. You hit a deer like that, boom, boom. That's, that's crazy. That's pretty that's awesome. That's so cool. So criminals don't have a chance. No chance. No. Uh-uh. They have a shot. <laughs> Mm-mm. Running away from this guy. I, I, I'm a better talker, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I practice more talking. Of course, one of the things we appreciate about you and Aaron is the stories that you have given your testimony right at our church in, regla- in regards to dealing with PTSD and your time coming back from the military. And I want to move on to you are an author now. Right, so you have written a book. Yeah. Uh, it's titled "Building Your Kingdom Fire Team." So, can you tell, I guess, listeners what exactly that's about, Aaron? Yeah, I'd love to. So, in the military, you know, we talked about a few minutes ago. We talked about people that push you forward to get better right. and to grow and to get better through growth. In the military, those teams are called fire teams. Okay, and a fire team consists of three to three to five people. And in those fire teams, you know, we you have your snipers, you have a team leader. Um, you have riflemen, et cetera. And uh, I was always in those teams in the military. And so when the commanding officer would issue us a set of orders, it was my fire team that would say, okay, here's our orders. We got to train in this, we got to train in that. We got to push each other to grow. So when we launch out to do these orders, we complete them. Right. And uh, so living in that lifestyle for many, many years, you know, I just got better and better because I surrounded myself with a good fire team. So for your, for your watchers, the, uh, I was injured very severely and I, I received I got brain damage in the injury and the right side of my body would drag around the best way I can explain it. I almost looked like a, there were times when it would come on. I'd look like a stroke. Patient. Okay. And, uh, I had post-traumatic stress pretty severely. Wasn't sleeping. You know, I was drinking a, a I was drinking then and just self-medicating, you know, unfortunately I was so and you talk about the the good air and the bad. I was such the bad air. And I was driving off my wife and children. Mm. And uh, then one evening, things just kind of hit rock bottom for us as a family. And uh, I ended up going and get a Bible out. And the reason why I went to get the Bible out wasn't I was looking for God. I was mad at somebody. And all I knew was to pick a fight with people. So I'm like, yeah, I'm pick a fight with God. And uh, the reason why I felt that way is someone had told me that this all this struggle that we were going through was God's will for our life. And I thought, wow, as a cop, I've I've arrested guys (laughs) who treat kids, you know? And uh, so we did. So my wife and I made a commitment to each other that we were going to go through this Bible together. And uh, we very quickly got into it, very quickly started reading it. And uh, being in the military, you know, her growing up, her coming up as a military wife, my kids growing up as military kids, to us, it's just like a set of orders. And that's the way we read this like and uh through that process we got hooked up into a church and i was healed from the brain damage Mm. and the post-traumatic stress and my wife said you know what aaron do you remember in the military how you always surround yourself with a fire team and i am like yeah she goes you need to find men that can be your spiritual fire team and i'm like you know what you're right we got asked to go speak at a, a veterans event and um there were several there were a couple politicians speaking and then me. Really? And so I got up there. Yeah. And so I got up there and that's all I could share as being someone who just came to Christ and just healed. 
I didn't just have a Veterans Day message. I just wanted to share you know, the good news with them. I want to tell a good story to them. And so I did. I shared and I encouraged everyone to build a fire team around themselves. And uh, what do you know? I did an altar call. And we had like 70 people from the crowd. What? Come up really? At this, at this event. So as we left, my wife said to me, she goes, this fire team, spiritual fire team isn't over. And uh, we did. Um, uh, you guys have seen there's a there's a small group of guys I'm very close yes. to. And they became my spiritual fire team. And we continued to push each other to grow together. None of them are in the military, but they're all serving the king. Right. We lived this way for several years and we always push each other to grow as families, our wives, you know, we, we make it a point to get together constantly. Our kids grow up together. So finally our pastor at the church, you, we all go to, he, he encouraged us to start writing this down. And I, I hesitated for over a couple years until finally we, uh, made a small group curriculum out of it to show other families how to build a kingdom fire team around themselves. Okay. And yeah, and it took off. It just, we're, we're in over 60 churches now really? as the small group curriculum, mainly for men and families. Yes. We've had the opportunity to speak to just tens of thousands of people at this point. And it's, it's been just a, such a blessing for, for at least for our family. So yeah. That's exciting. That's amazing, Aaron. Because when I was looking at it, I was looking at the picture of men that's on his fire team, right? Uh His core. And and you're right. I was thinking none of these gentlemen are in the military, right? And it's literally Mm -hmm. men and families that you respect that are helping you walk this out, right? Because life is not easy, right? Life is hard. But when you have a a group of people that can help you with, hey, I'm going to become a better dad. I'm going to become a better Mm -hmm. husband. I'm going to become a better employee, right? And I've got people that are maybe going through some of the same things that you can be an encouragement to each mm-hmm. other to help you walk out this, yeah. this journey. Right. And so, uh, I mean, I encourage anybody to go check out this book so you can get it on kingdomfireteam.com. Any place else, Aaron? Uh, no, we just keep it on our website, kingdomfireteam.com. They just type in the discount t- code T U tell a good story. T U A G S they get 20% off Beautiful. and we're just going to leave that, that discount to- code up there. Oh, so if, awesome. if they watch this, they're uh, they're a family. Oh, so. that's <laughs> awesome. And you're, you're right. Uh, that's a, uh, with our team, it is, it's all about growth. So we always want to push each other to grow. You know, we, when you, you start, you start talking accountability to most men, they're like, Oh, wait a minute. Right. You know, for us, yeah, there's accountability aspect, but it's more of a growth aspect. We start, start to see each other's value in it. And uh, you know, I don't need, Here's the greatest thing about it is call ourselves territory takers. And when a family faces something in our, in our fire team, we not only get through it, we write it down. So we'll never have to go through it again. And our kids won't have to go through it again because we know, you know, in the military, we call after action reports. How did you take that mission? Oh, this is what we did to complete that mission correctly. Right. Kind of what we do with us. So when the situation comes back up, we say, Hey, wait a minute, we've done this before. Or if another family says, oh, we're facing post-traumatic stress out of one of our, well, hey, we, we, we've already taken that territory. Mm-hmm. This is what we did. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's just a way a, a community of people to grow armies of people who are just constantly moving forward and growing together. That's excellent. Steph, do you have any other questions? I'm just blown away. I'm just, I wish I could just hang out with you, Aaron, because you're just so fascinating. <laughs> this is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I am so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. Exactly. We won't ask your wife that question, but yes, we will assume, yes, you are so cool, Aaron. (laughs) Oh, that's good stuff. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. This has been wonderful. God bless you. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you for providing this platform. My pleasure. Listeners, if you like what you just saw, like what you just heard, please go to iTunes, go to YouTube, and subscribe, rate, review this podcast. That's the only way we'll be able to continue to produce this. Where else can they go, Stephanie? They can go to kevinandsteph.com. That's all I know, though. So, is that it? You crushed it. Yes, crushed it. Thank you, listeners. The story of my life, I give a love. I spend a love until she's broke.